Oh, wonderful to worship the Lord this morning, right? I enjoyed hearing you singing to the Lord and so grateful for uh, wonderful praise and worship that we've enjoyed this morning. Welcome all of you that are here and all are joining online. And it's wonderful, wonderful to celebrate the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and his power, his presence, his strength. No matter how challenging the times, no difficult the circumstances, His grace is sufficient for every need, right? And we want to talk about that grace and what that grace does in our lives. So I'm going to ask you to turn to the passage that was read this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you turn there, 1 Corinthians 1. And uh, as I welcome you all, I want to add my invitation to come to the a picnic that was so uh, gloriously highlighted on the screens a while ago. Uh, we're excited about the 60th anniversary of our church. Uh, maybe some of you remember as we celebrated the 50th anniversary. If you were here 10 years ago, remember the big white tent that we had out there? Can you believe that's 10 years ago? Where did that, where's the time go? But now here we are, the 60th. A celebration of God's grace in the establishment of this church. And I had a wonderful blessing uh, several days ago. I and Doug and also Ben, a technical director, we were able to go to Crossville and to have an interview with the founding pastor of our church, Ted Willie. God's kept him here 60 years. Wow. He founded this church when he was 22 years of age. 22. And now is in his 80s and still devoted to Christ and fervent. And I'm looking forward next Sunday, Lord willing, to sharing a clip with you of that interview. And I thought, what a privilege to sit down uh, after all these years. Uh, and to spend some time with him, and I think you'll be blessed, and we'll make that interview available. But I do hope that you will invite folks and come next Sunday afternoon as we have the picnic, celebrate, and yes, have a few fireworks we've been holding back for a couple of summers here now. So we're just going to send them off on our birthday, all right? And uh, I'm sure we'll hear about the neighbors and their pets, and we've done the best to let them know, okay? I'm sorry about that. But they're invited to come, okay? And hope that you'll invite some folks to be a part as well and register if you've not done so. Now, with our 60th anniversary next Sunday, I, I just felt led for us to take a time away from our journey through the Gospel of Luke. And if you've been with us, you know that we've been walking through that incredible message in the Gospel of Luke. But today and next Sunday, I want us to take some time to... Uh, look at a couple of passages in 1 Corinthians. And these two uh, messages that I, Lord willing, would like to share with you. Now these messages have been on my heart for months. For months, really. Thinking about this season for us. Um, and I've prayed about these, these times together. So these messages have been on my heart for months. And I want you to know these messages have been in my heart for 35 years. I've been uh, blessed this coming December to be pastor here 30, 
five years. Can you imagine that? Yeah, smile, please. You know, you, you talk about faith, talk about faith to call a 14-year-old boy to be pastor. <laughs> was, that was a step of faith. That was faith. It really was. Oh, go ahead. All right. Just, just get it out. I asked for it. Right. But these things I want to share with you are in my heart for these many years. Some things that I believe deeply and I believe they come out of experience uh, of these many years of ministry here. And so these messages have been on my heart for months, in my heart for these years, but I want to share from my heart for these two Sundays. Now the focus verse that I'd like to call our attention to for these Sundays is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9. Verse right before where we had our reading this morning where the Apostle Paul says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful, even when we are not. God is faithful, by whom you were called, that is God's grace and mercy applied to our lives. And we were called individually, but we were brought collectively into the fellowship. And what a fellowship it is. The fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you pray with me? Now, O oh Father God, how great Thou art. And Lord, thank You that our souls have been able to sing that today. We exalt You, Father. We praise You, our Lord Jesus Christ. We call upon You, Holy Spirit, to be with us now. Unite our hearts in worship. Open our minds to understanding. Speak to us, O oh Lord. Call us to Yourself. Call us out of any darkness into the light. Lord, we pray for our church family. We pray for those that are suffering with COVID, those caring for them. Oh, Lord God, be merciful, be gracious. We ask for your power and your touch. We ask, Lord, that your presence will be made known. And for all those suffering, those, Lord, that are grieving, truly be amazing with your grace, we ask. And now, Lord, we commit this time to you. May Christ be magnified in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Well, this Sunday, next Sunday, is not going to be a detailed exposition, but really going to be more pastoral application, sort of a pastoral chat, if we could call it that. And uh, because of that, there won't be as clear delineation of some points that I might generally use. I'm reminded uh, many years ago, there was a little boy who used to sit over here, and he would just take notes so faithfully. And uh, 
One time I brought a message sort of like this one, and he went home and he said to his mother, he said, Pastor Sam didn't have any points this morning. Didn't. <laughs> I received a lot of teasing about my pointless message, all right? <laughs> but I do have some points, so let me just give you the points. It'll make some of you feel better, okay? <laughs> Something to do with your pen, all right? Here's three points of application I do want to make this morning. Number one, we're going to talk about being in Christ and wonderfully united. In Christ and wonderfully united. Then, we'll talk about being in Christ and tragically divided. But then, be reminded... That in Christ we are eternally delighted. In Christ and wonderfully united. In Christ and tragically divided. In Christ and eternally delighted. That's Pastor Sam's points this morning. Okay. Now notice all of those three points are united by the phrase in Christ. In Christ. And friends that is the source of all the treasures that we have. In Him dwell all the treasures of God bodily. All our treasures are in Him. And in Him, in Him alone, we find our fellowship. Look back at verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice that word fellowship. That has nothing at all to do with a church social and fried chicken, all right? Some of us, we hear fellowship, we smell chicken. <clears throat> the word fellowship here, many of you know, koinonia. It means shared life, life together. That's the idea. Now, when the, the Bible here and the Apostle Paul speaking this church is talking about shared life, this fellowship, life together. This is not just potential. This is not just potential. This is actual. This is actual. And I want you to look back, if you would, to these opening verses where Paul talks about the fact that we are in Christ... <laughs> And we are wonderfully united. That's not potential. That is actual for every born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Notice how he describes these believers. Look at verse 2. Would you look at verse 2? Paul is writing this church. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Now, notice everything Paul is saying here about these believers at Corinth is also applicable to believers at every place, in every age, and that is until this very day. That we are united in a calling. You see that calling. We're united in His calling. 
Now notice how that phrase, this calling, is expressed. This calling of unity. <laughs> Look at the way he says it. He says, you are the church of God. <laughs> you're not someone else's church, you're his church. You're the church of God in Corinth. So there is the church universal, the church of all believers, but there is a church gathered together in Corinth, the church of God in Corinth. Now, what do we know about Corinth? Of a wicked and ungodly age and culture. <laughs> the sewer of the whole culture was this place called Corinth. And so get the picture. Here are people called by Christ, part of His family. They are the church of God in Corinth. In Corinth. And even though they are in Corinth, they are in Christ Jesus. Something stronger than the culture that surrounds them is the power of the Savior who is within them. They are in Corinth, in Christ Jesus, and they're not alone. Sometimes they may think they're alone. Sometimes they may think that they're few, but they are united with all, all who are called to be saints in every place they are called. Now, the idea here is calling. We didn't earn this. This is His calling. As a matter of fact, the word church itself has to do with calling. The inherent part of the word church is calling. Jesus used the word church as He talked about His assembly. It's first mentioned in Matthew 16. He said, I will build my church. And the word church is ecclesia. Ecclesia, it means called out one. <laughs> called out. There's a call. Kaleo means to call. And they're called out. They're called out from the world. And yet as they're called out, they're called together. That's also inherent in the word church. Church are the people God has called out of darkness and called into His life. And now they've been called together. <laughs> and they are called apart. They're called to be sanctified. Notice this. To the church of God, verse 2, that is in Christ Jesus, to those who are sanctified. Now what does the word sanctified mean? They've been set apart. Why have they been set apart? Because God called them. <laughs> What made them different? They're better than others? No. God called them by His grace. That's what makes them different. They're set apart to God. They're sanctified. That's what the word means. And they really become those who are sanctified. And what is the word that defines someone who has been set apart by God, sanctified? The word is what? Saint. Saints. That's what a saint 
is. It's not someone who's accomplished great things and done great works and achieved great righteousness. A saint is someone who has been set apart by God from himself. He's been called out. And he's or she's been called together with other believers and have been set apart for God. Now, how do we know who the saints are? How do we identify saints? Do they have the little dinner plates over their head? You ever seen that in the pictures? You can tell who the saints are? They got the dinner plates over their head? No. How do we know who the saints are? Here's who the saints are. The people who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. How do we know who the called are? We know who the called are because by the grace of God, they have called upon Jesus. That's how we know who the called are. The ones who are called by God to salvation call out from their heart in faith and trust in the Lord. And all those who call upon the Lord are part of His fellowship, His family, united in a common Savior. This is what Paul is saying. He calls them saints. But now as you read 1 Corinthians, listen carefully. Here's what we find out. Listen carefully. We find out that people who are truly saints, we find this to be true, saints ain't always saintly. <laughs> saints ain't always saintly. Now they're saints by God's grace and His calling, but by their lifestyle and behavior, they ain't. <laughs> Saints aren't special people in themselves. Saints are not extraordinary people in themselves. And this is what Paul is saying, that just as we are united in His calling, we are united in His qualifying. Do you see this? We're nothing special. As I say so often, it's, it's not like we're the dream team. We're the bad news bears. And we're not special. But my friend, never forget this about God's calling and His qualifying. Listen carefully what I'm about to say to you again. Our Lord does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God does not call people who are qualified to do the job. God qualifies those He has called. Now, just to make sure we're clear on that, and it's important to be clear on that, my friends, we need to understand, if, and look at just what are our personal qualifications. Aren't we a qualified bunch to carry out the work of the Lord and to bear His testimony? I want you to read your resume. It's my resume too. Did you know you have a resume? If you've been called, you are a Christian, here's your resume. Mine too. 
Look at verse 26. Here's our resume. Verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, what a resume! Wouldn't that get you hired at any application? Just imagine your resume. Here's what it says. Qualifications for the job. Unwise, weak, barely average, considered foolish, weird, unimpressive, low class, undesirable, rejected. I'd like to apply for the position. That's our resume. What qualification? But what did we learn here? Praise God. God doesn't call the qualified. What? He qualifies the call. Our Lord qualifies us. Now listen up. Just as real. Listen carefully. We have to humble ourselves so that we can exalt our Savior. We have to tear down our pride so that we can rejoice in the place that God has given to us. Because just as the Lord truly does, truly does unify us, listen, Paul says to these saints who really ain't in many ways, he says you are really qualified. Look at verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. What came out of God's grace? You were saved by grace, but what else happened to you? That in every way you were enriched. You were given treasures that you didn't have before you were saved. You were enriched in Him in what? In all speech. And knowledge, you were given the ability to speak for Him. You were given the ability to know what you needed to know and to understand the message, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, praise God for that, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's speaking to this church. And this is a church that is made up of people who have been sinners, separated, but now they're sanctified by God's grace and set apart for Him. They are, they are people that are not qualified. They don't have natural abilities. There's nothing special about them. But the Lord, by His grace, 
enriches them, gives them what they need. He equips them. He empowers them by His Spirit. And He is going to embrace them all the way through their lives as they wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, isn't that something? That's how God ministers to His body, His people. So what does that mean? What do we take away from this? I said, what is the application, church? Here's the application. For us as a body here at West Park, in Christ, we are qualified. For whatever God has for us to do, in Christ and only in Christ, we are qualified in Christ. We lack nothing. In Him, we have all that we need that pertains to this life and godliness. We cannot say, I live in such a difficult, polluted world like Corinth that what possible good could a church do? What possible impact could a world be touched with from folks like us. How, how could we do this? We're not up to the task. And the Lord says, you're not, but my son is. And my son lives in you. And I have chosen to use your weakness, to use your averageness, to use your lack of classiness, and your lack of credentials and to use your lack of impressive skills to do my calling so that the glory goes to my son. That's what the Lord says. He's saying that to us. Praise God. We don't have to look forward thinking there's a time that's come to this world that's greater than our Savior. That there is anything in happening in this culture that can come close to the power of God in Christ. We have faith, not as we look around us. We have confidence, not as we look within us. But we have faith and confidence because our God lives. And He is for us, His people. And if God be for us, who can stand against us? Amen. My friend, we're not out to win any battles for West Park, but we are out to be a testimony for Jesus Christ. And let no, none of us, let none of us speak words of unbelief as if this world is too far gone for the power of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. My friend... In the sewer of Corinth, in the hell of Rome, our God turned the world upside down. We're not lacking. We're not. We are qualified. But is there danger? Yes, there's danger. And what is the danger? Is the danger a power too great in the world around us? 
Is our greatest danger in Satan who Jesus crushed on the cross? Is our greatest danger from hordes of demonic forces that Jesus declared victory over by His resurrection, announcing that they're headed to the lake of fire? Is that the danger? No. The danger is not around us. The danger, the great danger, is within us. The great danger to the church is not outside the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and what? The gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. We need to change the idea that the world's assaulting the church. Hey, how about we assault the world? Why? How? With the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we roar as a church? <laughs> like lambs. Bleeding out the good news of Jesus. What's the danger? It's the danger of division. The danger of division. That's the first danger that Paul mentions. Now, would you think about that? Here's people in Corinth. I couldn't even describe Corinth to you in this company or on this broadcast. It would be considered completely inappropriate for me to even describe daily life in Corinth. What was the danger? The danger was not outside the church. The danger was inside. It was the danger of division. And so here we see this second truth that Paul wants to share with them. He's writing this letter. He founded this church. <laughs> and he's writing back now because he has heard of Issues there in the church. As a matter of fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, evidently a list has been sent to him of some theological issues to sort out. <laughs> Just like Paul, he says, I'll get to the list later. Let me tell you about my list. He says, this is number one. This is number one. He says, the biggest danger that you face is that even though you're in Christ, you are tragically divided. You are tragically divided. Paul gave a strong rebuke immediately following, telling them how he loves them, how they are God's saints, how they are graced, how they are enriched, and then, immediately, he says, this is my number one concern, and it is your number one danger. And here's what Paul said. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, not in my name, but in our Master's name, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you 
be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. As you are united in Christ, be united in the same mind, the same judgment. For here is the report I've received. It's been reported to me by Chloe's people, that is a, evidently a, a house church or a, a Bible study meeting in the house of Chloe, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And, and what I mean is this, this is the kind of quarreling it is, is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, the Cephas is the name for Peter, or the super spiritual, we, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified you for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, but besides that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul rebukes this church he so dearly loves because they were divided by a party spirit. They were divided by a party spirit. Now, Corinth was known everywhere as a party town, but that's a different kind of party, okay? This is a party spirit. There, there were parties of personalities. We're of Paul's group. We're of Peter's group. We're of Apollos' group. We're, we're of Christ's group. There, there existed in the church a Christian celebrity culture. And people rallying around their particular choice of a person, a celebrity. And Paul says, this is dreadfully divisive. He, the word here is, this is Schemata. It means a schism. We get our a tearing, a separation. He says, now you have received the grace gifts, the charismata. You've received the spiritual gifts, the charismata. But because of this, the grace gifts are being hindered. The charismata is, are being hindered because of the schismata. You're divided over personalities. He says this is dreadfully divisive. And he says it really is terribly traitorous. It's terribly traitorous. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? What are you doing? This is treason. It's treason for a blood bought sinner to start identifying himself or herself by a personality. He says, this is treason. How could you even think of it? Did I suffer on the cross for you? I planted the church, but I did not die and rise for you. 
You were not placed into the body of Christ by my name, but the name of Christ. This is terribly traitorous. And Paul says this is the greatest evil. It is subverting the gospel. It's subverting the gospel. He says you are aligning yourself by who baptized you or who your favorite teacher or preacher is. He says, don't you understand? The gospel is the gospel of Christ. And if you start making it about someone but Christ and His cross, you are emptying the gospel of its power. That's the reason a divided church can never share a united testimony in Christ. Now notice something about this expression of a divisive spirit. How was it manifested? I mean, did you come to church and people held up sections? Apollos team here. Peter's team here. Did, did, did they separate from each other? Is that, is that how it was manifested? No, notice how it was manifested. Verse 12 says, it was personal and it was verbal. Look at verse 12. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, Apollos, Cephas, or Christ. Notice what each one of you says. It's personal and it's verbal. People are personally causing the division by things that they are saying. Today, It might be expressed this way. It would still be communication. But it might be this way. Each one of you is texting this. Each one of you is tweeting this. Each one of you is posting this. Each one of you is making your comment. Now, do we get it? It's division caused by communication. It's made by people who are in Christ, but what they are communicating is in the flesh. They're in Christ. They're Christians. They're saints. But they ain't acting saintly. Because of something they're doing? No. Because of what they're saying. By their personal communication. They're in Christ. But their words are divisive. Separating people over things that should not separate them. And that is in the flesh. My friend, communication that's not prompted by the Spirit is prompted by the flesh. You need to get that straight. And I need to get that straight. Any form of communication out of my mouth or off my fingertips that is not prompted by the Spirit of God is prompted by the flesh. 
communication that divides over non-essentials is non-spiritual. Let me say that again. Individual communication that divides Christians over non-essentials is non-spiritual. Now let me be clear. There is a difference between truth and error. My friend, there's truth and there's error. Right? But let me tell you something. Here's the dividing line right here. The dividing line between truth and error is thus says the Lord, not thus says Sam. And you can insert your name there. Right and wrong is not determined by me. And right and wrong is not determined by you. It's not determined by anyone. Right and wrong is determined by the God of heaven. He speaks righteousness. And He defines what is unrighteousness. Communication that divides over non-essentials is non-spiritual. Now, what could be some modern examples of this? Some of you are saying, here we go. <laughs> Stop preaching, go on to meddling now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. This, this is what you give your offering for. <laughs> right. Sure. We have to be so careful, brothers and sisters, in the age in which we live. You see, we have something now. Maybe you know a little thing. It's called the Internet. You know anything about that? Yeah, one of our former senators invented it, remember? <laughs> Did you know 95% of the 7 billion people in the world either have one of these or access to it? 95% of the seven billion people in the world either have one of these or have some access to one. I'd say that's a game changer, wouldn't you? What's that mean? That means when you or I use this form of communication, we are speaking to the world. We need to put aside from our minds the idea you're speaking to your friends. Our communication in this form is global communication. And we have to be careful that we do not allow ourselves into division over non-essential. To me, this is one of the great, great, great 
concerns for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an incredible tool. The gospel is going forth, not, and I don't just mean an iPhone, but all it represents. It's going forth as never before. It's an incredible tool for bringing people to the gospel, bringing people to Jesus, but it's also an incredible tool for dividing people unnecessarily. What are some modern examples of this kind of unnecessary divisiveness? It's non-spiritual. How about national non-essentials? Can I just go there? National non-essentials. Let me give you an expression. Christian conservative. Christian conservative. Let me stop there. I am a Christian. And I would say my political beliefs on the spectrum would be considered conservative. But I want to tell you something that I try to be constantly aware of. Conservative views on national events has nothing to do with my faith in Jesus Christ. We are dividing over American politics that have nothing to do with the unity that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm just asking the question. I, I, I read the Bible once in a while. Did I miss something? Did I miss something in Jesus' words? Did somehow that phrase, Christian conservative, did I just miss that? Is that in the Great Commission and I missed it? Because... To listen to so many voices today, you would think that a person couldn't be a Christian and not be conservative. I'm not talking about issues that are right and wrong. My friend, listen to me. The values of the Word of God are not defined by politics. They're, divided by the, they're defined by the principles of the Word of God. What God has to say about the family has nothing to do with being conservative. It's just right. What God has to say about male and female has nothing to do about conservative. It's just true. What God has to say about what is decent and holy has nothing to do with being conservative. Conservative and liberal is filled with ungodliness. Be careful what you champion. Be careful whose name you exalt. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But you render to God the things that are God's, and that's your allegiance. 
And that's your testimony. And that's your faith. And that's your message. What do you talk about most? If people listened to your words, they followed your tweets, your texts, your posts, your comments, what clearly would come across? Whose name? We have to be so careful. Friends, listen to me. Let's talk about citizenship. You know, I have a citizenship. I got a passport. You got one of these things? Passport. They, they even gave me, it's someplace here. Oh, yeah. They gave me a driver's license. So I'm a United States citizen. I have a passport. I'm a Tennessee citizen. I have a driver's license in Tennessee. So I have a driver's license. I have a passport, by the way. Do you have God's passport? <laughs> because where is your citizenship? Our citizenship is in heaven. And we are looking for Christ from heaven. Our name is in the citizenship role of heaven. And our allegiance is to the Lamb of God. That's our country. I thank God for all the treasures that we enjoy. Do not misunderstand me. I am a patriotic person. I was raised that way. I thank God for it. My father wounded twice in the jungles, the Second World War. I thank God for all who have served our country. But my friend, listen to me. Our message is the message of a king and a kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ. We have to beware of these national non-essentials. These political non-essentials. Friends, listen. We're not divided by the party of the donkey or the party of the elephant. How about we just do this? Let's just register and let's just lift up and promote the party of the lion and the lamb. How about that? Not the donkey, not the elephant, but the lion and the lamb, Jesus Christ. Amen. Communication that divides over non-essentials is non-spiritual. Cultural non-essentials. What's culture? Customs, traditions, the way of life for a group. It includes codes of dress, manners, rituals, music, etc. Culture. What is a Christian culture? A Christian culture is not defined by traditions. It's not defined by uh, dress and manners and songs and music. It, it is defined by the message of Christ, the heart of Christ Himself. We have to be so careful that we do not elevate our culture above other cultures. And friends, you don't have to leave the United States to go cross-cultural. How many of you know that? If we're not careful, we want to enforce 
our cultural customs and values that are not anchored in the God's word, we enforce those on others and say this is what good Christians do, this is how they live, this is, this is their, their traditions. If we're not careful, we are adding to God's word. My friend, just as sinful as it is to take away from God's word, it's just as sinful to add to God's word. That's called legalism and Phariseeism. Friends, Jesus transcends culture. You can go to Asia, and you know what? Jesus is big. And you can go to Africa, and he's big. And you can go to South, Africa, South America, and he's big. You can go to the islands of the sea, he's big. Jesus is not limited by any culture. But Jesus does do this. He transforms cultures. But how does he do it? How does Jesus transform cultures? Elections? No, Jesus transformed cultures one person at a time. One life at a time. I probably should stop. I think I will. You know, when I preach messages, a lot of times I call them freight train messages because you can just put the caboose on anywhere, okay? But friends, what I want us to understand is this. Listen carefully. We live in a society that's very unique to the rest of the world. And listen to what I'm about to say. Our society is very individualistic. We promote individualism. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But it can be a bad thing. Because around the world and other cultures, they don't see individualism, they see community. They value things by community. They value and see life through interpersonal relationships. See, what we do is often say, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? That's wonderful. Do you know Christ personally? Yes, that's wonderful. But if you have a personal relationship with Christ, that means you also have an interpersonal relationship. You're now part of a family. You're now a part of His new community. And you're, no, you're not a lone ranger. You know something interesting about the word saint? It's never used in the Bible. You know what's always used? Saints, plural. Never once a saint. Always saints. Friend, think this about your communication. Here's what I want you to do. What's the first question any human being ever asks recorded in the Bible. The first question recorded of any human being in the Bible, you know what the question is? It's this question. Am I my brother's keeper? And you know what the answer to that is? Yes, I am. And before you say those words, before you send that text, before you send out that tweet, before you pile up 
on the responses. Before you join that post, listen to the question. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? The person who reads your post. And the person who sees the threads. And the person who receives your texts and your emails. That's your neighbor. Love him. Lover. Speak the truth. But speak it in what? Love. Oh Lord God. Have mercy on us. <laughs> Lord you have had mercy on us. Forgive me for even praying that. You have had mercy on us. You have graced us with every treasure in Christ. But Lord now. Be merciful to us and help us to be people of mercy and people of love. And oh Lord, protect us. With the wisdom to understand that we are our brother's keeper. And that people know us by our love. Lord, help us to know that we are more known for our disposition than our position. May that disposition be love. Take this message, Lord, and speak to our hearts, beginning with my own, and bring us together in lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. And help us to remember His banner over us is love.